Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Looking forward to another week of European action, Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference League. It's all happening. And of course, our 5x5 five five champion and international man of mysteries, Dee Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, good. Thank you for giving me the correct title. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, good weekend of football. Obviously nothing in England, but we were able to get stuck into some other leagues, which I really enjoyed because it has been hard actually to keep up with all of the leagues at the same time the Premier League's gone because the games have been so scattered out. I've been able to watch most of the Premier League, but um, yeah, I, re- I did enjoy getting stuck into some other stuff at the weekend. Yeah, an opportunity to spread the wings with the Premier League mm. cancelled as a mark of respect for the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, we're going to start, though, today with things we love. And DJ, you're going to kick us off in England, despite that lack of football. Yeah, I mean, since we last recorded the pod, um, we haven't spoken about the fact that Chelsea have a new manager in the shape of Graham Potter. So um, on Wednesday night, Chelsea will play Salzburg in the Champions League and they have a new man, the old Brighton manager, leading them into a new era. Now, it's called Things I Love. Um, I do kind of love this because um, as a Fulham fan, I am stunned that, that Chelsea have gone from Thomas Tuchel, one of the most proven coaches in European football, to Graham Potter, who... Um, uh, he's a bit of an international man of mystery himself, isn't he? I mean, most people out there huh? will not know too much about him. Hashtag who um, is Graham Potter? Is, is, this the new, <laughs> is this the new thing that Rank Squad is going to be pushing for? It might well be. Um, and it's actually on that note, because I am genuinely, I was, I'm quite stunned that like you would go from Tuchel to Potter. Like I find that a very brave place to be right now. As, as Chelsea Football Club. But I thought, okay, like let's let's take away that, that cynicism from it. I want to know why why they've done this. And this, this first game, like what can we expect from a new era? And actually, very timely, got to give full credit here to the Telegraph, um, which, to be honest, I find to be the best and most accurate reporting of football news in England anyway. Um, so... If you want to go and get a subscription to the Telegraph, go and do it. I've got, I've got to give them some getting, clout here. You're getting played for this, isn't no, it? No, but I am about to. No, I'm just about to steal some stuff from an article they've written. So I'm going to give them the credit that they deserve for writing it. This actually is the kind of stuff that I used to do when I was at Bleacher, and I, I kind of do miss doing it actually because something could crop up, and you'd like, right, I need to speak to some people to find out more about why on earth this would happen. And basically, what the Telegraph have done is they just spoke to a few people who've actually played under Graham Potter. They interviewed him, whatever, and. I've just picked out a few things, one from eight, one from three people, about the mystique of Graham Potter and what might actually work here. Um, so let's start with Ostersons, where he was obviously coach, um, and Samuel Mencero, who was one of his players. This is what he said about Graham Potter. He said he did something particularly special for us at the club when we were in the Swedish Cup final. He wrote an email to all of our parents saying that he was so proud of us. Then my dad called me. And he said that Graham Potter had sent him this email and he knows that we're going to win it. It just made us all so happy. And I'm sure it played a part in us going out and winning that cup final for him. So there you go. The first thing we need to know. Every player of that Chelsea squad, their their parents are all getting emails tonight about the Salzburg (laughs) game. So there you go. There's the first thing we've learned. Next up, Nathan Dyer, Swansea. He said, people remember the game that we had against Man City and, and we lost, but we dominated the game. Um, but it was all about in the pre- preparations for it, taking the game to them rather than being cautious, which is obviously not a thing that most teams do when they play against Man City. He said one thing that, that Graham Potter did is that he used a half position and he used a player called Matt Grimes, who would, became a central midfielder and a centre back in that game. He said he describes Graham Potter as a visionary that he'd never seen before in the game. He said it was all about where to exploit the opposition and how it was unconventional. So there you go. Again, another little like thing to look out for. And a thing that would definitely have impressed 
an American Chelsea ownership. Like these little things, I'm starting to understand why they've gone for this. And then finally, just a little line really from Alexis McAllister, who was talking about like settling in England and stuff and like what helped them last season. And he was talking about particularly when they went through a bad run at Brighton last year. Um, He said one thing he did, he always tries to speak with us about the psychological things that go on within football. He has meetings with us where we have to think about these particular situations. And I think actually that's a really good overriding concept for us to understand about why Graham Potter has been brought in in here and Chelsea obviously looking for a long-term visionary a man they can stick with long term look there'll be tests along the way there's already articles coming out about you know if Chelsea don't make the top four they will stick with him you know only time will tell they don't understand what that pressure gets like once you are sixth in the Premier League and the crowd are turning on you we'll have to wait and see but I can understand why the intent is there actually reading these things understanding a bit more about what Graham Potter would have been saying um, in the meetings to get him this job and actually I'm probably more intrigued than ever about how this Chelsea era gets underway when they do face Salzburg on Wednesday night. Yeah, I think that's all completely fair. I mean, look, we discussed Potter and, and, and Tuchel sacking in a bit more depth on, on our Thursday, Thursday spotlight last week, which went out a day early just because we were, you know, talking about things that were topical uh, mm. over on our ultras on Patreon. And I think we're all quite excited in some ways about, about Potter and, and what he brings. And I think when you look at it from a, you know, what what are the two diff- the key differences? You've kind of nailed it there in, in terms of, talking to players and, and making them feel comfortable. And, and look, some of the reports that have come out after Thomas Tuchel's dismissal, uh, you know, are, are going to be tinged with the idea of it's already happened, right? So so therefore people can come out and say say whatever they kind of wish rather than about a manager who they who, who's in charge. But, you know, the kind of overarching theme that I've, I've noticed in, in those kind of interviews and articles speaking to players is that there was an element of if players dropped out of Tuchel's system, it, that was kind of it. He didn't really talk to them and tell them how they got back in. And you look at players like Christian Pulisic, about Hakim Ziyech, who have, have all kind of dropped out of this Chelsea side or dropped out of the kind of starting picture for so many ways under Thomas Tuchel. Mm. And I think that those kind of players will benefit from Potter's arrival because there is that element of you know psychological encouragement, I suppose, is the easy way to put it, that he will come in here and you know, explain to those players exactly what they need to do if they're going to become starting fixtures in his team. It's not going to be, okay, I have my 11 and that's the way we're set. A very, very flexible manager, not just tactically, but also in terms of personnel and has been, you know, in his time at Brighton has used varying different, you know, things to to various extents. And you can look back and say the same at Swansea and Ostersunds as well. And I think it's it's an opportunity for a lot of players at Chelsea who might have been, a bit kind of worried about their their place in the picture at Stamford Bridge to then come out and and kind of give themselves a new lease of life. Now, obviously, any manager does that, but especially Potter with that background in kind of emotional psychology, etc., I think is a, is a big opportunity. And I think it's probably the most interesting thing of, of, of the beginning of this mm. new era. And just to clarify as well, I mean, Dean, when you say you're stunned, it's, it's, it's not really to do with Potter's perceived level of ability, right? It's It's that Clubs like Chelsea don't tend to take this kind of plunge from Absolutely. the Brighton level of manager. They tend to look for, you know, rightly or wrongly, perhaps a man with a bit more charisma or um, sort of stature, public- pub- yeah, publicised winning stature. Um, and they don't tend to pick off Brighton. They tend to let Leicester take someone off Brighton. And then if they're really good for Leicester, for example, they'll take them from there. They've they've skipped a step here in the kind of food chain of where of where the risk is. Mm-hmm. And that, again, adds another layer of real intrigue. I don't Definitely. think anybody's doubting that Potter's a, a, a great coach and, um, no. and, and a very, very emotionally intelligent man. Um, but this kind of move is pretty rare. Yep. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. It's going to be very interesting over at Chelsea. Okay, Sam, on to you. Yeah, the thing I love this week um, was actually, well, over the weekend, we got to watch quite a lot of Serie A, uh, in part because there was no Premier League action. And what I loved was that collectively, the top clubs in Italy simply refused to give up. And it, it was the case with all five of maybe the perceived top five teams that they just would not give up. And they would not take no for an answer. And I think it foreshadows an amazing battle at the summit of this league this season. It's something we've definitely been touching on over the course of the early days. But again, we got a lot more proof of it this weekend. So to run through them, Napoli 
won their game in the 89th minute. Inter did exactly the same. Milan went down to 10 men, lost Rafael Liao to a red card and scored a 67th minute winner. And Roma were pegged back from 1-0 up and had to score again in the 71st. And actually, even Juventus scored a legitimate 93rd minute winner. It was just wrongly ruled out. So there's, there's for, for, for many people, a top five in Serie A. And they all would not lie down. They would not be beaten. No one is relenting. And I think that mentality is going to prove consistent over the course of the season. And it's going to generate the most exciting battle between the top five teams in any league this season. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. I think the best viewing in many ways, well, there was lots of goals in La Liga, but the best viewing in terms of drama and entertainment, I think, was found in Italy. And as it has been for for quite some time, I think, at this point, we've seen Serie A kind of rise, not from the ashes, that's probably a bit harsh, but definitely (laughs) rise in stature. Doldrums. The doldrums. Doldrums over the last couple of years, especially, you know, we saw... Juventus go on that nine season winning streak and things felt a little bit stale in some ways. And we were waiting for for the kind of giants of the past to re-arise in, in Milan and, and Inter. And, and they have done over the past two seasons. Both have won the Scudetto title. And it looks like it's going to be really, really tight going into this year as well. And, and that's what makes Serie A so comp- compelling at the moment in terms of viewing. But you're right. And the thing about there was there was so much fun about this was that it was tricky for all of them. These weren't easy games, and despite pretty much all being against lesser on paper opposition, they've all kind of come through in some way. I love watching Serie A at the moment. I, I find it so entertaining. The Milan game that I was watching at the weekend, and they they go one 0 up, and I'm kind of like, okay, well, this game will probably now become a bit of a a ball fest and, and Milan will probably go on and win this game 2-3 near whatever it is and then beginning of the second half Rafael Leo is suddenly sent off for trying being brave enough to try an overhead kick um, but ultimately he's red card and you're like oh my goodness like what like this this changes the game and then suddenly it goes level and then Milan have to find a way to get the goal and they do they find a goal through Olivier Giroud and it that's the thing that I'm loving about it at the moment is like you, you can't actually stop watching at the moment these these teams aren't typically anyway, running away with games and they're being forced to to really dig deep to find different levels within the squad and use their benches wisely to find ways to to open up channels that, that will find them a winner. And that's why I think that the look not just the top four race is going to be fascinating. Even the title race, you know, it was good enough last year with the two Milan teams scrapping out till the final day. But as we talked about last week on here, like it's it's gonna be up in the air again, right until the end as to who wins this league. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And then Milan play Napoli this weekend without mm-hmm. Rafael Leal. So lots to be excited for this yeah. weekend. Good game, that. Very good game. Very good game at the top of the table. Okay, finally, I want to come on very briefly, actually, to Sporting, who had a pretty rough start to the season in in many ways. They drew their first game with Braga. Then they won a game against Rio Ave at home, but then they got battered by Porto and then lost the week after to the 10-man Shavs, which is not great start um, for, for a team who, who wanted to be back in this title race. But over the last couple of games, I've been really, really impressed with them. They, they went to Estoril and they won 2-0. They won 3-0 away at Eintracht in the Champions League last week. Um, and then they had... Porto Menenge this weekend at home. Now, that doesn't sound like a particularly tricky game, but Porto Menenge had won four on the spin and are currently still fourth in the table in the Primeira. And I think Sporting came out with a bit of a statement, but what I've really, really enjoyed is this kind of fluidity of this front line. And this year, obviously, we've seen Marcus Edwards step up and, and he's been very, very exciting and, and the great, he's great to watch. But Rochinha came in from Braga. Um, and then we, we've kind of seen this kind of mix and, and, and Trincao came in. And he was the player I was, I was kind of most intrigued by. Now, he's had a bit of a funny few years. He left Braga to go to Barcelona. He was kind of hailed as this young saviour figure. Didn't really work for him. Went out on loan to Wolves. Did okay. Didn't do enough to make them want to pay the fee to make that permanent. Went back to Barcelona. They were like, we don't want you. So off he then went to sporting and he started was a little bit slow but he's starting to get into things now and in the last couple of games we've seen three goals and an assist from him and and two of the goals at the weekend very very well taken I thought he just seems to be one of those players that is starting to find his groove again and the fluidity of this front three of of Trincao Edwards and um, 
Virginia on the other side is really nice to watch. And then you have, you know, Pedro Gonçalves or Poch on, in the middle who played as part of that front three at times last year. He's kind of dropped back in. The, the kind of comparison I would give it is that Renzo Pellegrini role for Roma. He plays both in the front three and can play in, in the midfield too as well. He's, he's been very, very effective from the middle. He's got four goals and three assists already. We know how we know how much of a talent he is. But then there's these flying fullbacks as well, or flying wingbacks in this case. Nuno Sanz on one side, who's already uh, chipped in with, with three goals. Uh, and Pedro Porro on the other side, who's already chipped in with three assists, which... I don't know. It's just, I'm just really excited about watching them at the moment. Now, they play tonight, so before this podcast goes out. So they might get absolutely spanked by Spurs this evening. <laughs> sound really weird. But I've just really enjoyed watching them and, and, and seeing how this front line has started to come together you know, as a three and, and seeing how the rest of the side adapts around them. Now, they had a lot of change this summer, a lot of commotion, especially in midfield where they lost Joao to Fulham and they lost Mateusz Nunes to Wolves. So there was there were big question marks over who would kind of come in here. Uh, Hidemasa Morita has come in. He's been really, really impressive. Manuel Agat is, is very, very solid in there as well. Made the most tackles, I think, in a Champions League midweek last week. And, and I'm just intrigued to see how this continues to develop. But I've just enjoyed watching them over the last couple of games. They've got a lot of work to do to try and catch up with the early pace setters, their cross-town rivals, Benfica. But yeah, just, just want to keep an eye on they, this front three and their attacking kind of intent, sporting. They've been a lot of fun of late, so I just wanted to give them a shout. Does that mean that uh, it's Marcus Edwards against Spurs? It's the it's the return. It is the return tonight. The boy from Enfield, although it is it is at the Avalanche, so it's not ah. it's not quite the homecoming, but it's very much him against his old side. There you go. I mean, half the fan base probably still don't actually know who he is because he never really made the impact. But there was a time where we were talking about Edwards as a potential future top top star and mm. didn't quite go one of those one of those examples of how development is not linear did not quite go to plan probably a little bit like Trincao actually a couple yeah. of years in the wilderness and has just kind of found himself at sporting mm. well, look, they're 23 and 22 there's still plenty of time for, for both of them to explode into that that full start and Marcus Edwards is wearing that 10 shirt now at sporting that's that's an impressive feat in itself and to be then yeah. putting out the performances he was the best player on the park against Eintracht last week in in the Champions League and to be putting these kind of performances in at this level, I've been very, very impressed with. So, you know, there's there's lots to come here as well from this sporting side who just feel like they're moving in a, in a right direction right now. Okie dokie, with that, we're going to move on to our main segment. We're going to be talking the best teenagers in world football. Don't go anywhere. Champions League football is back and streaming on Paramount Plus in the US. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration with the biggest stars, top teams and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona and more in football's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time and extra time and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to Ranked FC. It's time for our main ranking and we're revisiting a classic. We do this one every year, really, because, well, it's probably the most changeable, the most malleable of all of our kind of regular topics in so many ways. We're talking about the best teenagers in world football. I mean, the best thing about teenagers is that they're fleeting, right? They, they get into their 20s and off they go. So we're going to look at who the who the best one dash numbers are in, in, in football right now. And so, Sam, I hand it over to you. Yeah, I've got a top five and trust me, I agonised over it. I've got some honourable mentions to talk about later as well. And uh, just to spice it up a bit as well, I've also tried to make a big prediction for each one as we go. So I'll I'll detail the player, uh, but then we'll also make a prediction for them for this season as well. Start number five and I'm going to take Harvey Elliott of Liverpool at number five. In the entire world. I think he's there. I really yeah. do. I think he's there. I think he's absolutely awesome. Like Liverpool fans don't have a lot to smile about right now, but Harvey Elliott is certainly one of the bright spots. And I think he qualifies. I think he's one of the, the five best teenagers in the game. Like the, the progress he has made this year, this last 12 months, despite the fact that he got quite a bad injury in that time, is genuinely remarkable. And I think what, what I like about him so much is that his game feels really mature for his age. And that is something that Liverpool's midfield right now needs to lean on. 
I think there's a real intelligence that underlines his game. The positional rotations and the links, you know, moving out to the right and combining with Salah and Trent. It's not easy to just step into that relationship and become the third man and sort of drop out to the right, then suddenly appear on the right wing and then suddenly you're back in midfield. It's not it's not easy to do that and he's nailed it. And you know, some of the passing work, some of the underlying numbers in terms of expected assists and expected goals. I think in possession, to put it bluntly, Elliot has been Liverpool's best midfielder this season. And that is not something you can throw around lightly. Liverpool are a top, top time. Uh, top, sorry. Liverpool are a top, top team. So, yeah, there's a bit of work to do still. Of course, he's, no, he's not perfect. I think there's some off the ball work to come, you know, defensive phase. But Liverpool have got some, some wider issues there. He's part of a big issue, I think. Um, it might take him a while to really flesh that out. But man, when he's on the ball, when he's in the final third, I don't see too many better than him, which is a hell of a compliment. It's kind of I mad mean, that he's still a teenager. Obviously, he broke through so young that it feels like Harvey Elliott's been around forever. And there are some names that you look at this and you, you, you're looking at teenagers and you're, you're throwing in names. You're like, hang on, how are they 21? I'm pretty sure they've just exploded onto the scene. Harvey Elliott's <laughs> been around three years. He's done, you know, as uh, he came on and made that debut season at Fulham, obviously, and then went out on loan after the move to Liverpool to Blackburn for a season. Spent last year at Liverpool and had that injury. And now he's into his kind of fourth senior season, and yet he's still a teenager. It does it does kind of defy belief sometimes. It does indeed, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so my big prediction for him, I wanted to go Premier League Young Player of the Year, but technically Erling Haaland is eligible for that award. So I think we could probably leave that one, shall we? Well, he might can um, you win can you win both player of the year and and young player of the year in the same season? Gareth yeah. Bell did it. You can, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bell did it, so I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that, that that's that's gonna happen. So instead, we'll go with Liverpool's young player of the year. Seems like an easy win for him, but crucially, I think more league starts than Jordan Henderson. I think there's there's change of foot in this midfield, and this season, Elliot gets more league starts than Jordan Henderson. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I mean it's certainly not something I th- I saw happening this quickly. I mean I'm sure Liverpool had him penciled in to make more of an impact last season. Obviously, say got a cruel injury, but is he 19 now, Elliot? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen some people questioning his contribution at times. You know, sometimes Liverpool dominate games, and I think that he's not going to be the full package yet. And I think sometimes people believe he should be making key passes earlier than he is, basically, and. That's just one. That's pretty much the only criticism I've seen of him. But I think it's harsh if, if people genuinely are, are judging him and not make picking out every single key pass that he possibly could see at this stage of his career. Like the passing that I'm seeing from Harvey Elliott is different class. The fact that he's taking people on, I don't think he's just the best player, best midfield player for Liverpool. I think he's been their best player so far this season. I don't think even Luis Diaz is, has been an, as influential. Um, as he can be. So I think that actually he would probably tip it as Liverpool's player of the season so far, <laughs> oh, um, which is ridiculous, but I genuinely think it's true. I do. I don't, I haven't really seen him have a poor game. And I think everybody else has had a poor game. Um, so yeah, look, as a Fulham fan, it hurts me a bit, but um, as a new balance fan, I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Excellent. Let's roll onwards to number four then, Sam. Okay. Number four is Jamal Musiala of Bayern Munich. I'm sure there's people out there that would tell me that this guy's too low, but I've decided after I, some I agonization quite low. that uh, I'm going to put him in at number four. Um, from, from his perspective, I love the continual progression. And you can just you can narrow it down just simply to minutes as he grows and grows. Uh, 2020, 2021. So Hansi Flick was still in charge. 871 league minutes as a as a as a 17 year old. I thought Flick liked him, and then Nagelsmann arrived. 1,500 league minutes the following season, and he's currently on track to to basically play somewhere between two or three thousand minutes. Like he's he's now a, a full part of this team. Obviously, it helps that whenever he takes to the pitch right now, he seems to score. He's got four in four. The goal against Stuttgart, guys. Oh, I absolutely adored it. Like the little shimmy and the misdirection just to create that yard of space and then shoot with the left foot and curl it. That was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. The ball never actually moves when he's manipulating his defender. He's just moving his legs to try and create the space. It's it's not that many people can do that. And we've always we've always said when we've talked about Musiala, the way he shimmies and he slinks. 
That's the, those are the words, that's the terminology we use. And it's still the absolute fulcrum of his game. The way he shimmies, the way he slinks, he's so difficult to keep a hold of, like a slippery eel. Those players are incredibly useful, incredibly important. There's just not very many that can do that. So, you know, as a starter off the bench, no matter what it is, he's trusted. Nagelsmann loves him. And the production seems to be taking an uptick. So my big prediction for Jamal Musiala is he hits 20 goals and assists in all competitions this season. That's a big season for a teenager. Yeah, it's massive. It's a massive season. And and his kind of continual improvement, as you kind of touched on there, is the big factor here, I think, in terms of what, what you're looking at and, and his kind of seamless transition into this side. Now, Nagelsmann clearly absolutely loves him. And that's mm. something that you can you can obviously massively put in his favour. This is a top-level coach who thinks that Musiala has all the potential in the world and is, is playing him ahead of far more established stars in, in, in many cases here is, is testament to his ability. But ultimately, we're looking at a player here. I, I think you've put him a bit low, Sam, I'll be honest. I would, I would have had him higher up than this. And I think if he does produce that season that you're talking about, that's that's insane numbers for somebody yeah. who who's only the fourth best teenager in the world. <laughs> well, you don't know the rest of my list. Well, I don't. <laughs> I don't. That is true. But he is very much a, a superstar in the making. And, you know, it's one of those. Well, does does he get a massive impact of this World Cup as well for Germany? Hansi Flick Maybe. trusts him as well. And I think yeah. that, that that could be a key element here in in some of these players who might might be at this World Cup and, and who might not. You know, Harvey Elliott. I think it's probably knocking on the door quietly for the England squad, but probably isn't going to make it. Mm. Whereas Musiala, I have no doubt whatsoever, is going to be in this Germany squad. He's a lock. Mm. I think he's a. I think he's an absolute lock. Maybe not as a yeah. starter, but he's in that squad 100%. That's Flick and Nagelsmann, two of the best three German managers in the game, who absolutely love him and want to trust and want to put their trust in him. It's uh, it's a hell of a compliment. Yeah. So I go to number three, and this is where it will get contentious between fan bases because at three <laughs> I've put Jude Bellingham of Borussia Dortmund, and it's because I think it, specifically this season as well, I've grown more and more like in love with Bellingham's game. And talking to the World Cup, Jack, we are barreling towards a very awkward pre World Cup conversation from an England perspective on Jude Bellingham versus Calvin Phillips. If KP can't get fit and make a dent in this city side, it will have been basically nine, no, 10, 10 months since Phillips was really able to take to the pitch properly. He was England's player of the year in 2021. And we're getting to the point now where Bellingham may just be the right pick next to Declan Rice in England's midfield to start the World Cup. That's how good he is now. He is so well-rounded. He does everything really, really well. It's possible he's the most experienced 19-year-old ever <laughs> because we're talking about Harvey Elliott's fourth professional season. Well, Jude's got that too, but his first one, when he broke onto the scene in, in the championship, he played like three, uh, two and a half, three thousand minutes for, for, for Birmingham at, at age 16. And now he's this undisputed key man for Dortmund. And I, I cannot... I cannot hammer that home enough for those that don't necessarily watch Dortmund or German football too much. Bellingham is one of the first names on the team. He's almost undroppable, an absolute fixed presence in the middle. And that kind of leads me on to the big prediction, which is that, and this is a hell of a compliment for a teenager, I think Jude Bellingham will play the most Bundesliga minutes of any Dortmund player this season. He is that important to the team. Injuries considering, I assume. I mean, obviously, if he gets, you know, if he does something for two months, then fine. Um, but Gregor Kerbel, the, the goalkeeper, has already missed a game. So he's, he's got, I was going to go outfielder, but you know what? I, I can see 34 starts for Bellingham, 100%. Like, unless he gets suspended or something, he's in this team. He's third captain and he's the, their best central midfielder at this age. Well, he's the fulcrum yeah. and the heartbeat of this side, isn't he? And I think mm. that's, the, that's the key element here. With, without Bellingham, they look a little bit lost in the middle, Dean. Yeah, I mean, Musiala and Bellingham, both 19, by the way, if you're wondering that right now. like So these guys are both the same age. But yeah, Bellingham, um, we've, we've seen him for two years now, um, progressing as in the adult game, which, you know, he's... He's huge, isn't he? And I mean, he, he's just he's just fitted in seamlessly to this to this level of football. And there's no doubt that other clubs already have an eye on him. There are whispers that Liverpool even already have an agreement in place to sign him 
next year. We'll have to wait to see um, as we get closer to the time as to just how much truth there is in that. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if that was. And I think that they probably should do if they've managed to get that in. Um, if you are listening to this on Wednesday, in, then this is really good timing because um, Man City are playing Borussia Dortmund uh, on Wednesday in the Champions League. And that match... Um, is a fascinating one from a Jude Bellingham point of view because that is a huge test for him. And you talk about Calvin Phillips. I mean, Calvin Phillips did actually make an appearance in the last Champions League match for Man City. He came on in the Sevilla game. He got 12 minutes. Um, so he's, he's, he's slowly being worked back. Might be that he figures in this game. Might be that you see Calvin Phillips up against Jude Bellingham for a little while mm. in, in this fixture. Um, Fighting yeah, for the, the moment, right to partner Declan Rice. <laughs> basically. <laughs> it is basically that. I mean, you have to say if Calvin Phillips is fit, then he would he would get it. But you also don't know how many minutes Calvin Phillips is going to have um, behind him by the time we get to November and that World Cup gets started. And it's going to be a big decision um, for Gareth Southgate to make. But you know, Jude Bellingham, every time... you. Every time I watch him, I'm just more and more convinced about, um, you know, this this guy is just unbelievable and he's just ready for whatever you throw at him. So, yeah, this is a really, really exciting time for, you know, Dortmund too. Uh, they, they've got to make the most of having him while they've got him. I mean, they're, they're still a flaky team, but um, they're going to be a lot worse team once they haven't got him in there. Yeah, yeah, and the the battle for his services next summer is going to be a, a warm one. You'd imagine it's going to be quite quite the scrap as as clubs look to make Jude Bellingham part of their furniture for the foreseeable future. You'd imagine so lots to lots to look forward to for Jude there, or or not look forward to depending on how you how you kind of view <laughs> the transfer market. I imagine, um, but that takes us nicely, Sam, into number two. Yeah, number two, I'll take Eduardo Camavinga of Real Madrid. Um, so he, ju- I think he just about misses out on the title of best teenager and it's close, but there are occasions when I watch him when I think he actually might be the most exciting. He is just a great watch and Carlo Ancelotti is using him so, so well for Real Madrid. He splits in between starts and impact substitute appearances and no matter what role he's given for the day, whether it's 90 minutes, 70 minutes or just 20 off the bench, he always seems to make an absolutely massive impact. And if he was at almost any other club in the world, he would play every single week. But he shares a dressing room with Tony Kroos and Luka Modric and up until very recently Casemiro, which makes things just a tiny bit more complicated. But a player who can do all of the things that he does, the all-action style, the ground that he covers, the way he carries the ball when he's on it, the tackling, the extendable legs to tick the ball out of play, the good lofted passes that he's got, the shape on the passes. like A lot like Bellingham, he has so many facets to his game. And again, has been playing proper first-team football since the age of 17, breaking through in France and actually had a standout game against PSG several years ago at the age of 17. These guys, these guys are just different gravy. They're just, they're just, they're just ready for senior football mentally and physically from the age of 17. And they never look back once they're given that opportunity, never look back. And Kamavinga is absolutely awesome. I, I thought that Chuameni was going to be on this list and I forgot he was 22. So there's only one Real Madrid <laughs> centre midfielder, not two. But the future's very bright, as we keep saying. Yeah, I mean, you you look at Camavinga and I think what stood out for me to a point is the appearances last year in the Champions League off the bench. Every time he came off the bench, he became the best player on the park pretty quickly. And that's mm. remarkable given the company he was in. And he changed games. You know, as we saw Ramajit go into the like last legs of, of these games and come out with some remarkable victories themselves, you know, in towards the late end of games in extra time, all of the above, the Chelsea game stands out in particular. He came on and completely flipped the tide of the game on his own as a teenager, which is just nuts, frankly, considering where he is. The only thing I would... I would have probably had him slightly lower, not because I think his abilities in any in any doubt, just because he's slightly less integral to to mm. a side. Now, obviously, that's because it's Real Madrid, and as you say, anywhere else in the world, you'd be starting week in, week out for these sides, but he's not, and mm. and and that's the only reason I would maybe have him slightly further down this list in that he's not making quite as much of a integral impact, I suppose, as the others on on a week by week basis um but i completely can see why you put him in here because he's just so good 
Well, it's so hard to weigh these guys up next to each other. I mean, let, like, like leaving Kamavinga aside for a second, you know, trying to compare Musiala and Bellingham when, you know, it's impossible to do so in kind of in terms of production terms or any statistical terms because their role is so different. Weighing these guys up is tough, and sometimes it's about personal preference. So, you know, trying to trying to assess them from an imp, from a from a level of impact perspective as well added another whole another layer to it. I did try to simplify it as much as possible, and in my mind, Kamavinga is a better player than Bellingham, who is a better player than Musiala. There probably isn't that much in it, but yeah. that's kind of just the way I had to split it. Otherwise, you get so lost in these in this forest, man. Yeah, and they're all now trying, you know, to, to step up the, the type of teams that they're playing in, right? And they're all they're all hitting that elite level. I mean, Bellingham's obviously got to pick the next club, but the others have that club now, um, and that that's where you're going to be judged. Like over the next year, massive time for these guys. Like in terms of development, in terms of like kicking on and establishing yourself as a as a first team player, like established in this at this level, Champions League level, pushing on to try and win tournaments like that. It's a, it's something very few people manage in their entire careers. And there's these guys knocking on the door to try and do it at 19, 20. It's, it's phenomenal and so, so hard to do. Yeah. So in terms of a big prediction, I did struggle with this one immensely because it wasn't really like a number of starts I could put on it. And I didn't I didn't really feel like that confident in saying that Camavinga, you know, will end the season as a, as a first choice Real Madrid player because... I'm not going to sit here and, and doubt Kroos and Modric. And then, of course, with Casemiro gone, it's sure many who has the, the clearer path to a consistent first-team start. So, actually went to France on this one. And did you know that Eduardo Camavinga has just three caps for France and hasn't played for them since 2020? That really? is kind of shocking. And oh, so, yeah, my big he prediction... Scored, he him. scored a wonderful goal on his <laughs> debut, didn't he? He scored like a bicycle <laughs> kick. Is your big prediction that he will play for them again one day? He'll <laughs> <laughs> get at least four caps. No, I think I think he's going to force his way into the World Cup squad. Oh, okay. um, off the back of a, a good, a really good start for Real Madrid, and um, potentially a couple of other players in that mix maybe dropping off a little bit. Um, Pogba being uh, injured, injuries. Pogba, yeah. Pogba, Pogba, Pogba being injured, and then Bubakar Kamara moving to Aston Villa just just decreases his stock ever so slightly in Deschamps' eyes. I reckon to the point where. He turns to Camavinga in November and takes him along. Now I don't know what the impact is, but the fact that he hasn't played for them for two years is kind of is kind of stunning, and uh, I think he'll make it. Okay, mm. that is, if you said at the start of that before giving that context, your bold prediction for Camavinga <laughs> was that he was in the France World Cup squad. I think a lot of people would have looked at you funny, but equally yeah. <laughs> that makes much more sense in the context of it. Um, I, I would love to know how, how if he does get in there, how how many minutes you think he'll feature for at that World Cup. But we, we we'll come on to that. I'd imagine there's going to be plenty of World Cup previews once those squads are announced, etc. So that will that will feature later down the line. I'd imagine. <laughs> so that leaves us with one salmon, and there is a plethora here of you could which you could pick and most of mine that are still waiting to be picked are all at Barcelona yeah I know well there's only room for one unfortunately um I mean Barcelona fans are going to be angry with me because there's only one of their players in this list but they should be happy that the one player of theirs in this list is above the Real Madrid player take the wins where you can get them guys especially nowadays it's Pedri it has to be Pedri here there is nowhere else to go he is a world-class player in my view, and one of the very best at his position, regardless of any age bracket you can you can put together. He is a fascinating watch. And to be honest with you, he makes you want to go out and play football and express yourself. That's that and that those kind of players obviously we're all drawn to. There's two specific parts of his game that I like, and they're two very different parts. The first is that he can control the very essence of a game of football. He knows when to speed it up, when to slow it down, when to dart forward and carry the ball 10 yards and when to drop back in and retain possession. That kind of game intelligence should not be present in a 19-year-old, but this is a very special case. The other bit I like is that while the first part is all in, is all raw intelligence and game management, he's also not averse to a few back heels and a few fancy first-time passes and a few nutmegs. And actually some of the stuff he does in the game, even while controlling it in the most kind of sensible and mature manner, is really boyish and joyful and actually quite ludicrous at times. He keeps the game ticking, despite the fact that he's backheeling the ball past people and nutmegging them. It's kind of a contradiction in itself, but it makes him absolutely fascinating to watch. And he's got the passing range. He can use either foot. 
He can carry the ball over open distance. He can shift laterally. He can use misdirection. He scored a wonderful goal back in the last season. I would like to see a bit more of that, but we're talking about a controller and a playmaker here. I think he's the best teenager. Like, I actually think, I said Camavinga might have been close, but I've changed my mind while I've been talking. I think Pedro is clearly the best teenager in the world. And he was so last year, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, on this ranking. Yeah. He has, I mean, he has kept his spot. Pedri, yeah. hold. Is, well, uh, here's the is, thing. He definitely ain't getting it next year. No, he won't be. <laughs> he's turning 20 in November. He's turning 20 in November, so he's got to make the most of these last few months. Um, so, yeah. The thing that's, that's fascinating, too, is that Barcelona have only just become good. So, like, he, he's been making all this progress among a group of players that have been playing under absolute bizarre conditions. I guess in some ways they still are. But he's now surrounded by players that are, well, on his wavelength. You know, that he's got unbelievable options around him. I think we probably will see um, a bit more stability in the in the actual squad coming up over the next, you know, they, they've got all those numbers in suddenly. And I think Xavi will now look to calm things down a little bit on that transfer front. Obviously, they need to get a few people out the door that, that don't fit. But um, that's the thing. You know, Pedri is now going to be competing to win La Liga this season. Um, and he'll have a huge role to play in that. And also, obviously, Barcelona want to establish themselves back in the Champions League and uh, the type of fixtures that they've got, like this week against Bayern Munich and stuff. Like th- these are the these are the the tussles and the the fixtures that do turn him into a proper household name. Because let's face it, like Barcelona haven't been the same watch over the last eighteen months that they have been in the past. And you know, whereas when Messi was there, it was obviously it was all, you just wanted to watch Barcelona every single week. And since he left, that has definitely died off. Um, even before that, to be honest, in the, in the latter stages of Messi, like Barcelona didn't have the same feel to them, but um, they do now that they're, they're back to being almost an unmissable watch every week, Barcelona. And, and that's what I'm fascinated by. Like he's got this good in a team, in a, a club that's been in transition and now they're coming out of that and they're going to be back to being, well, the force that the almost once were mm. and yeah this is gonna be cool also yeah next next year he's not number one so well, sounds like you got a decision to make next year it's very interesting actually because next year all five of sam's top five will be ineligible i was just thinking award. that's probably the case Every yeah they all 19 are all of these 19, 19. yeah harvey yeah. elliott turns 20 in april jamal musiala turns 20 in february jude bellingham turns 20 in june kamavinga turns 20 in november and Pedri also turns twenty in November, so mm. yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting list next year. You've got a list of eighteen-year-olds, mate, ready to well, go. Well, this is the but thing we, because there's actually a couple do, of other nineteen-year-olds, right? We need to do this podcast in November then uh, next year. We have to push, <laughs> yeah, push, yeah, push yeah. it a little bit, yeah, to make it all completely fresh. Um, no, no, no. It's in this November, Sam. Oh, this November, oh, everybody, yeah. everybody in this list is oh, going perfect. to be ineligible next year, which By which, next season, yeah, which yeah. takes us quite nicely into honourable mentions because there's a couple now who won't be ever back in this list uh last year florian verts was in this list he's obviously yeah. been hampered by injuries but some player and and no doubt that when he gets back to full fitness we're going to be excited to see if he can return to that level because it was you know absolutely sensational last year we had nuno mensch and ryan gravenberg in here um both of whom turned 20 across the course of last season uh gio reina was in the honorable mentions last year he turns 20 in november and then there's Ansu Fati, Sam, who you've left out. Yeah, well, same same thing applies with Florian Wirtz, right? It's just been really, really tough for him. And I mean, obviously, he's making some good some good impacts off the bench at the moment, but you know he's not quite there with a few bits. There's a, there's there's a there's still an underlying like lack. I think some some of it's a lack of confidence at times, but some of it's a lack of burst, a lack of trust in your body. I. I'm going to need to see more from Fatty just in terms of playing football before I feel comfortable putting him in. I feel like it's it, the standard is so high that it wasn't fair. If there was another Barcelona player to feature in this list, it would have been Gavi, who, for all intents and purposes, can be ranked number six. Uh, apologies to Gavi. I think you're brilliant. Uh, but I basically had to make a call between him and Harvey Elliott, and I went for I went for Elliott. Um, the good news for Gavi is he's currently the forerunner to be number one next season. <laughs> so, uh, he can take yeah. some real comfort in that. Yeah, yeah. But so Fatty Vitz and Tino Livramento, three players who have been pushed off the rails by injury, but exceptional footballers, absolutely exceptional, and need to be name checked here. 
And then a couple more that, that haven't been derailed by injuries, but they're just budding a little bit late. Xavi Simons at PSV can do no wrong right now and keep an eye on him. And Malo Gusto at Lyon is making mm. serious, serious waves. Now, I think he might already age out by next year, so he'll never actually make it. But just putting names on the radar for people. I know this is a very, very popular discussion. We're 10 days late to have Fabio Carvalho in the conversation as well, who, <laughs> who, who's just who's just missed out by uh, by way of being born in August, frankly. That's yeah. the uh, that's that's Fabio's uh, big sin yeah. in this regard, but he's just out of the boards. But yeah, look, there's there's lots to be excited about. There's plenty coming through as well. And as you say, you know, lots these are these are the players who we're talking about as the stars of 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 the seasons to come. And it's a it's a good ranking every time it comes up because it allows you to discuss the best young players in the world, which is among the things we enjoy talking about the most. So two interesting things to end off with. First of all, be interesting to see if Gavi bottles his lead. Big year for him. And two, we never made a bold prediction for Pedri. And that's because I really, really struggled with this. I didn't really know where to go. And I was hoping that we could crowdsource one together. Best young player at the World Cup? Fine. But he got best young player at the Euro. So it's not even that big a prediction, is it? Oh, if you fancy yeah. Spain to go quite far, Pedri might be best young player. He might even be best player. And then, you know, could he be player of the season at Barcelona? If Lewandowski scores 45 goals, I'd be very, very confused if anyone gives it to anybody else. But I guess it's a possibility. I thought I couldn't quite put my finger on where this should go. I feel mm. like he's got options for Spain and for Barca. But it's, 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 it's a pretty volatile one. Next Barcelona captain. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I like it. It's currently PK, right? It is currently PK, and but I suppose like obviously it goes through the kind of list, and it's it's PK yeah. and it's Busquets as well, and, exactly, and Jordi Alba. Yeah. But there's a very strong possibility that none of those players are playing for Barcelona next year. Maybe Busquets the exception, obviously. But next kind of next Barcelona cap, the, the new era Barcelona captain, should we say? This yeah, might be one to have a, have a think about. I think this is mm. the thing with with Pedri is that we talked about all of these players, right? Pedri is the only person in this entire list who is locked on to start every single game for his nation in the World Cup. Locked in. So that speaks, that speaks volumes about his ability and, and, and what he's done so far in his you know, career, which has you know, only really exploded into life in the sort of last two, three years. But it exploded into life in such a bright fashion that it, it basically became impossible to ignore him. So I don't think there's going to be many complaints from having Pedri as number one, Sam, even if he has held on to his title from last season. That's what the greats do. That's what the greats do. They, they do. hold, they hang on to their positions. Um, and Pedri has held on to his. Well, very good, Sam. Very good. Thank you very much for that ranking as ever. Uh, talking of the World Cup, it's going to be a big feature of our replaced gibberish this week. We'll be doing that. And of course, the Melon of the Week after the break. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our third and final segment, which starts as ever with everyone's favourite time of the week. Dean Jones, over to you. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Arcadius Milik. <laughs> Blimey. I mean, Hi. kind of, but also silly guy. Um, Milik comes on for Juventus as a substitute at the weekend, he came on at half time. At which point, Juventus were two 0 down at home to Salernitana. Uh, Milik has had a good impact at Juve since signing for them. Um, and look, very quickly, Juve were back in the game. It wasn't him that scored it; Bremer scored it. But um, it was two one. And going into the stage of the game, Juve didn't really, really deserve to be in it, but they were. Uh, Milik picked up a yellow card on eighty three minutes for a foul. Um, but then, in added time, ninety minutes plus three. Leonardo Bonucci steps forward to take the penalty. I'm not entirely sure why Bonucci stepped forward to take the penalty. He's really good. I know, but, yeah, I know, but they got Vlavic. He should probably leave it to him. Um, anyway, Bonucci misses the pen. The keeper saves it. Lucky for him, the bounce is perfect and he volleys it back into the net. Um, he's saved in his, his big moment. And it's 2 2. And you're like, oh, no, it's, it's going to happen. Juve are going to do it. And then. They kind of do, and then they don't. And Milik is central to everything that happens. Juve get a corner. It's swung in, and they score. Milik scores. And he, the place goes wild. Um, you know, Turin is on fire. The, the fans are going absolutely crazy at this last gasp winner over Salernitana. Milik pulls off his shirt 
Why? Why did you pull off your shirt? You know you were booked about eight minutes ago. Anyway, so um, among all this, he lays, he's right up with the fans. People are jumping on his back and all sorts. It looks like a late winner. Uh, Milik comes away from it. He's sent off, gets his second yellow card. Um, and, and that's bad enough at the time. But um, as he goes off, suddenly, it didn't look like this at all, but suddenly it, it goes to a VAR review. And long story short, the goal is ruled out. It's a judge that Bonucci tries to head the ball, doesn't touch it, but does try to head the ball. And he's adjudged at the time to be slightly offside when he does so. And so VAR decide the goal doesn't stand. So Milik is sent off for celebrating a goal that does not stand. And his red card counts. Absolutely <laughs> melanish of the highest order. I mean, there's obviously a later... T- Allegri sent off, by the way. Fazio's sent off after he's rowing with someone. Quadrado's sent off. Absolute chaos at the end. There's fighting all over the place. Juve fuming. <laughs> and I mean, they would have been even more fuming later on in the night because <laughs> it was found out that um, the VAR room, who called the offside, didn't actually manage to see all the angles. The, the wide camera angle showed that Bonucci, even if he did go for the ball, wasn't even offside because Candreva, right over the far side of the pitch, was playing him on. And they had to release a statement later in the evening saying, with regard to the Juventus incident, a video released at the end of the match, first on the web and then taken up by media outlets, um, we can say that the technical body has viewed all the images made available for the match in question by VAR. And we had no correspondence with that video in question that went around on social media. Basically, long story short, what happened is that the camera that everybody else has seen on Twitter, basically, was not available to the VAR room. We are going to have to speak to the people that supply the camera angles to find out why we did not have this camera (laughs) angle. Um, Absolutely ludicrous. I mean... Dean, usually you hand out one melon. This is three... They're all over the place. I'm just throwing melons melons around Italy at this stage. Like, I don't even know where the blame lies yet. (laughs) I don't know where the blame even lies for this yet. I mean, this company, whoever supplies the the technological services to to Seria, I imagine their contract's in big trouble today because (laughs) they're not showing them the angles they need. They're missing players out of the picture. Oh god! Unbelievable! It's not great, it is it? It's not great not for great. anyone's perspective. I mean, um, but here we are. Is that Salernitana got a point they probably just about deserved, but not really. That's not really how it works. I mean, you, they did score a goal that should have counted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's just just not great vibes anywhere, really. But but quite amusing nonetheless. But melons yeah. everywhere, as we say in Turin. Okay. Thank you, DJ. Um. Right. There's no gibberish siren today because there's no gibberish ranking we're actually going to change tack a little bit and Dean I think you should probably explain this one it's it's quite it's quite an interesting development we've gone for here yeah well we're getting towards world cup time there's an international break coming up and obviously we're going to be producing uh content across the world cup for the podcast obviously but obviously um elsewhere we're going to be doing bits and pieces too and we need to become experts on every single team that is in this tournament in Qatar. Um, so there's 32 teams going to this World Cup. Um, England and USA, obviously, we're going to be all going to be experts on. We're going to know those teams and squads inside out. So you can be sure of that. But the other 30, we need to absolutely nail down. And it's going to be very difficult for all of us to know all 30. So what we're going to do is we're going to whittle it down so that we have 10 nations each that we know inside out. And there's no other way to decide these 10 teams than to do a draft. I thought this in my head, first of all, when I was like suggesting it to you two that we, we actually sort this out. And then Sam was like, should we do a draft? And I was like, yes, I'm glad he said that. And then today we had no gibberish set up and I was like let's just do it live on the pod lads it, it, <laughs> it might be boring or it might be great I don't know but you're about to find out which 10 teams each of us are going to be an expert on for the World Cup and we're probably going to we're going to be choosing these teams so quickly that I reckon we'll probably end up with some teams we didn't ideally want each of us and that's that's part of the fun okay all right so it's a state draft 
as the reigning loser of pretty much every predictions list, I'm taking it into my own hands to go first because okay. I feel like I, I need a break, frankly, from, uh, from enough, losing mate. things. So we're going to go me, then Sam, then you, DJ, as reigning champion. But you get the turn because this is a snake draft. And okay. I'm going to kick us off. I'm going to take Argentina. I knew it. That was so, <laughs> so, so obvious. I am going to take Brazil. Okay. Dean, two picks for you. Okay, so I'm going to take um, Spain and I'm going to take France. Okie dokie, Sam. I'll take Canada. Nice. Wow, you could have taken that later on. Cool, yeah, I think Mm. you probably could have done. Uh, I'm going to take... I'm going to take Portugal as a as a nod to. to I knew you would. Honestly, oh, I, I actually I was tempted. I thought about taking it just. I was too. I just thought I can't do that to me. He's oh, had first third. pick. No, no, I actually get two. So I'm yeah, also yeah. I'm also going to take Ghana. Oh, big vibes. Big vibes. Big vibes. Nice one. Uh, I'll take Uruguay. Okay, two of you, DJ. Okay, I'm going to take Netherlands. Yep. And I'm going to take. Oh, I'm going to pick one that's a bit different here. Mexico, I'd like, actually, yeah. Sam? Let's go with Senegal. Nice. Very good. I'm going to take Wales, and I'm going to take... Good. I didn't want Wales. Oh, Denmark. quick, 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 quick. Denmark. <laughs> <Take> Denmark. <laughs> Sam? Quick, 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 quick. Belgium. Proper European team at some point. Dean? Okay, I'm going to take Germany as my first one. Can't believe they're still there, actually. No. And as my next one, I'm going to take Serbia for the oh, mighty Mitro. Yeah, that's <laughs> all I'm I love that. Absolutely love it's it. Hold, Sam. Okay, for this one, I'm going to take either Ecuador, Peru, or Chile, depending on the outcome of Thursday's FIFA appeal. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to take Japan, and then I'm going to take Morocco. Uh, leaves me with Croatia. Thanks for that. How are they still there? <laughs> no idea. sleeping on Croatia. Dean? I'm going to do something quite sneaky here. I'm going to take Iran because they are in England's group. Uh, I thought Wales were still and here. And America's gone. group. Yeah, Wales are gone. Oh. I've, taken them. I've taken your countrymen. As a oh, that was my sneaky move. Yeah, that was my sneaky move. I was going to take both of the other teams in the England-USA group so I could nail the whole group. Uh, I'm going to pick one really quickly. I'm going to take, I'm going to go for it. I'm taking Qatar. Okay. No way. Wow, really? I yeah. was convinced they would be the last pick, Mr. Irrelevant. Okay. No. Sam, no, no, nobody no. else is going to know. I'm going to make a living off of that because no one else in the whole of football is going to know anything about them and I'm going to become an expert globally. I'm going to take Australia. Okay, very good. I'm going to take Cameroon and I'm going to take South Korea. Sam? Well, at this point, let's go with uh, let's go with Poland. That's a very safe bet for, an, for a ninth round draft pick. Poland <laughs> is a very safe bet. Right, Dean, your final two? My final two... Uh, Switzerland. Mm. Oh, so what we've got left so, is Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, and Costa Rica. I am going to go for uh, Tunisia. Hmm. Interesting. Sam? Costa Rica. Sam takes the New Balance boys to yeah. round things off, which means that yeah, I have Saudis. Saudi Arabia. Exciting. Very exciting. Lots so, of wow. fun. There do, we go. Want, do, you want, do you want some instant analysis on that? Uh, yeah, Jack, Jack has taken Japan, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia, and like one of the one of the things that I was thinking of through that was just trying to make sure that at the very least, like for the most part, the languages might be remotely translatable. Jack obviously wasn't particularly interested in that. Going with South Korea, Saudi Arabia, and Japan. Um, and to an extent, Morocco is quite tough as well. But um, yeah, yeah, you've got some play. proper I mean... research to do there. Like I was trying to think of places I can turn to quite quickly to get some help on these teams. <laughs> no, I'm quite pleased with this. It's, it's a little bit left field, but what else would you expect? And and also, uh, all these teams going out in the group stages, so I can leave you to do the hard graph <laughs> later down. <laughs> no, can like, I recommend... I'm just going to be talking about Argentina for the end of it, and I, that, that I'm very comfortable with. So, Lads, yeah. I got properly excited about the World Cup at the weekend because... I was watching Nickelodeon, as you do on a Saturday morning, and uh, advert came on. The World Cup sticker books are out. And that was it. Me and Dylan straight down the newsagents, got the sticker book, bought 15 packs of stickers. They're a pound each. You get five stickers in each pack. Absolutely ludicrous. Apparently printing costs are really bad right now. 
mate, this is going to cost me. I was trying to figure out how much it's going to cost me to fill out this book. Um, going to cost a fair bit. You can at least but... pa- you can at least pin it on on the boys. Like Sam and I have no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have. You got this podcast. We will write off as expenses. We're yeah. sending tax man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how that it's one goes. all research, and that's the thing. How, I was looking at some how players. am I supposed to know who is going to play for Australia if I don't buy five hundred packs of stickers? Exactly. That is the thing. So we will, I'm sure, write all of this off. So go and get yourself sticker books today. Everyone in the ranks on, get out there. It is fun. You start opening up the stickers and you're like, oh, I got him, I got him. Uh, we got Ronaldo. Swap. Yeah, we got Ronaldo. We got Mitro. It was happy days. Dylan then oh, stuck all of them in the wrong pages and I just pull them all out. Oh, that is, that is absolutely <laughs> genuinely heartbreaking. It I was. Mean. I couldn't handle it. All the Brazil players were on like the Portugal, no, the Croatia page. And I was like, Oh, I can't handle this. this oh is... no! No, I can't. I literally can't deal with this. <laughs> right, this has descended into farce, so it is time to call gibberish. this a day. It is. It was gibberish in the end. Who knew? Who knew? Mm. Um, right. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much, Mr. Sam Tyler Rank. God, thank you for that main ranking. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much to our five by five champion, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We hope that you enjoyed that look through the best youngsters in football and beyond. Uh, We will be back next Wednesday, of course. Enjoy all the football as ever, and we'll see you then. Take it easy. Peace.